0: Hi there, I'm Ben Pierce, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast, the podcast all about helping you in the tech world develop your professional skills. Each episode we share the top tips, failures and lived experiences of people thriving in the same world as you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get going. Hey, folks, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast. On today's show, we have a guest who is the founder and chief envisioning officer of the Envisioners. He's a brilliant keynote speaker, wonderful author whose books I've actually read, uh, strategic advisor and non-exec director for a multitude of companies, and a lovely bloke. So please welcome to the show, Dave Coplin.
1: Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming along and joining us.
1: No, it's great. And and listen, I, I think what you're doing here, and, and trust me, I don't say this to all the girls, um, <laughs> what you're doing here in terms of uh, people's tech careers is is, is genius. And I, and I don't think there's enough out there really thinking about the breadth of what you can do in the tech industry and the kind of career path and the multitude of career paths. So look, I'm just really thrilled to be part of, of that conversation. So thanks again for having me.
0: Oh, no, you're welcome. Thanks for saying that. I've starting to blush now. <laughs> now, for, for Dave, for those that, that don't know you, um, could you start by sharing a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, in, in terms of who I am, Ben, I'm sort of—I I like to think I'm the quintessential technology evangelist, and and I think I was always born that way. I, I sort of, from a very very early age, I was really excited by the opportunity that all kinds of technology could bring us. But I was never one for sort of gadgets and and sort of bells and whistles. It was more about what can I do with this? What 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 could I change in people's lives? And that's kind of how I started, and that set me off down a career. I started my career when I sort of graduated. Um, in the Apple sort of ecosystem. So back in the day where you used to have Apple dealers uh, and that kind of thing. So I ran a service department for an Apple dealer for a a couple of years. Uh, And then that took me to a proper job uh, working for a big accounting firm doing sort of architecture. So really designing the the sort of, uh, it was a national architecture at the time, became global a bit later on, um, which was all based on Macs, which is fantastic. And then after a couple of years of that, my my first really big uh, project was to get rid of all of the Macs. Uh, because there was this thing called windows 3.1 that you know frankly wasn't as good but was much much cheaper Uh, so I did a bunch of stuff and and look you know I spent a a bunch of time in the real world helping people understand what technology can enable the business to do And, and look we're talking about Uh, late 80s early 90s so a world where most people don't know much about computers because they haven't got one at home maybe they've got a BBC micro or we had a Vic 20 uh, but you know no real idea about what it could do in the business and I did that for I don't know getting on for 13 odd years uh, and then um, something happened and I sort of fell in love with Microsoft which was quite bizarre because it wasn't really microsoft i fell in love with it was the fact that there are millions of people using their products and it felt to me like quite a powerful thing if we could help people achieve great things in their business so i spent 12 years at microsoft um had the time of my life uh invented a, a job title which brilliantly was a joke so the chief envisioning officer Uh, was born out of a a conversation over a coffee with a a good friend of mine uh, who used to run the business audience PR at Microsoft. And it was a time where Microsoft was struggling to get cut through because... We were kind of, uh, yesterday's news, we weren't Apple and we weren't Facebook and we weren't Google or Amazon. We were kind of like your dad's IT company. And so we <laughs> thought, well, what could we do? And so we invented this, this stupid position called the chief envisioning officer because we knew that the UK media would be like, what you know, actually, Phil talked about this last week. You, you, you do something a little bit provocative in, in sort of marketing because you're just trying to get a reaction. Yeah, But it really was about helping people connect with the outcome of technology. That's what envisioning is all about, and 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 I'm I'm learning now that the joke is such that that job title has stuck. I left Microsoft seven years ago, spun up a company called the Envisioners. I'm still a chief envisioning officer. I, I, it's it's the joke has gone so far now. I now believe it to be true, <laughs> um, and and um, that's what I spend my days doing is connecting people with the potential that technology offers a modern society. And why am I doing that? Well, I'm doing that because there are two problems I think we face in the tech industry. Number one there's a real tendency to want to talk about the technology. Let me tell you about the three new features of whatever product I'm here to sell. Or let me tell you, you know, have you seen the new iPhone, Google, Pixel phone? It's got bells and whistles and and there's more bells and more whistles in the world. It's amazing. And I'm a bit bored by that conversation because it doesn't really tell me, well, how's it going to affect my life? What am I going to do with that? And then the the other thing, and, and really this is where I spend more of my time these days, is if you a look through the media and you look through the lens of how what i call normal people so people outside of the tech industry talk about technology there's quite a negative bias um about what it does and especially i mean you know in a world of generative ai it's hilarious um it's you know every day there's the robots are going to take your job the ai is going to take over the planet we're all going to die and it's all going to be technology's fault and I sort of push back on that. And, 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 you know, my job is to help you see the positive potential first and, 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 a, and to be a bit naive about it as well, Like right? In a world where we only ever love each other and we only ever want to do good, what could we do with this kind of technology? And once we understand the size of the prize that's on the table, then let's talk about the risks and let's talk about how we mitigate it. And so for me, that's the purpose. And that's why I call myself sort of the quintessential technology evangelist is, is my job is, is to show everybody how important this stuff is and the kind of difference it can make in all of our lives, be that at work and making your business grow more or save more money or whatever that might be, Uh, right through to society. How do we change education to make sure that our kids, when they emerge from education, have skills that are relevant for the workforce and the workplace that they'll actually be in?
0: So... uh... That's fascinating. Thank, thank you for for going through that intro. I mean, when I think back to you know our paths have obviously crossed when we were both at Microsoft, and I've seen you on stage on a number of really big, intimidating stages, doing a brilliant job. Um, and when I when I think about what you did really well, what you did really well was you were able to paint a vision of the future. You were able to inspire people and get people energized by that topic. Make it relevant to the normal people, to the real life, uh, and leave a, a everybody buzzing. You know, when everybody would leave a session that they they'd been with you, and and uh, so so that's kind of the the feeling. And I can't remember the things you said. I can't remember the exact topic you were talking oh, about. It was
1: it it was all made up, Benny. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, all made up. <laughs> but but those are the feelings, and and I think um, that those skills and the ability to do that is something that really benefits everybody in their career and, it, and it's things that, that you can learn. So I wonder if th- what we could do is start to sort of get into sort of w- what this envisioning is, what why is it relevant, how do we do it and how can I, as somebody working in, a, in the tech world that has to go and convince people to do stuff, do it in a really impactful way?
1: Yeah, look, I think that's great, Ben. And and, and listen, thank you. I'm, I'm I'm glad you remember some of those things. My my job was to just not be what people expect, which is another guy in a suit talking about the three great features of whatever product they're trying to sell. Uh, and I always felt if I if I just not do that, I'll, I'll be okay. But you know, to talk specific, specifically about you know what you've just discussed about this whole thing about envisioning. The scientific community sort of understand this. They know that if you if you can't explain the science to people outside of that community, then the science is actually worthless. And and you know even really complicated stuff like I don't know um, uh, quantum computing, quantum physics. If you can't explain it so that somebody just gets a, a reasonable understanding, it's pointless. And and okay, quantum physics and quantum computing is is one thing. Um, but you know the technology uh, digital transformation in organization is an everyday occurrence that I would hope that many of your audience finds themselves in the position of doing and whether you're a DevOps person thinking about how do you get the code in the right place or whether you're an architect trying to design the right thing or you're doing the humble IT support getting that organized envisioning is crucial because if you can't communicate with your audience then you've just got no hope of, of getting the things that you need to do and and in envisioning it's not about explaining how complicated and how difficult it is to be you and to do your job it's to help them understand what you're about to do or what you want to do is going to affect them how it's going to help them and 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 really uh, make their lives better their jobs better enable them to to do more and it's a skill that i would love everybody in our industry to to work on and to develop because i think no matter where you are whatever your role if you can clearly communicate the outcome of what you're doing, then people are in a much better position to be able to uh, accept it, you know, want it, you know, support you in delivering it, or telling you that's actually not what I want. I want something else. If if I could give you an example, uh, a recent example, and 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 forgive me, I'm going to flip into cybersecurity mode, but it, it's an easy place to make the point. Uh, one of the boards um, I'm on, we, you know, we do, uh, I think, well by cybersecurity. It's a board level conversation. We are invested. You know, We, we talk, I, I listened to your great conversation with Phil Winstanley last week, and, and Phil's just such a lovely, lovely guy, and he brings this to life really well. It's about having a normal conversation about what are relatively technical things. And we'd done the right thing in our in this organization I'm working with. We got an external partner in. They'd come in. They'd done some internal pen tests, some external pen tests. You know, mostly it was okay. They'd found a few things and all that sort of stuff. So we asked them to present to the board their findings and we got the managing director of this cyber partner come to us who literally gave us like the fire and brimstone. It's like, Jesus, you've not patched 443 <laughs> or the firewalls. And, and, you know, the board, uh, A, have no idea. This guy is just literally talking nonsense at them. A- and in a way that they're all quite scared and they're staring at me like, Dave, I thought we'd been doing this stuff. And it was a classic example of, of if you don't communicate well, the reaction from the board was just like, well, that's it. If, if we're screwed anyway, let's just do nothing. And for me, it just represented a really lost opportunity. What, what this individual should have done is, Hey, listen, in your business, there's a bunch of processes and things that you have to do to do a great job of all of those things. There's some things that are a bit vulnerable. Like if we lost this system, the business would find it really hard to operate. And in our research, we found that there are a few things that we think we could do to help make those better. It's back to what Phil talked about last week. And again, in the cyber context, it's about, you know, being safe and secure. But in an in a everyday technology uh, concept, it's about how do we empower the business? So let's not dive into port 27 or whatever it may be. Let's say, hey, listen. By doing this, that means that you can grow your business a bit more. It means that you can improve your customer satisfaction or your employee engagement or whatever it might be. So it's about bringing to life things in the eyes and ears of the audience that you're working for rather, and it's really hard, I know, when when you're stuck in the weeds, rather than focus on, you know, the, the sort of your role and your perspective, it's about thinking about things sort of outside in rather than inside out. Okay. So,
0: so this envisioning, which is a bit of a weird word, it's one of those words that I always finds a bit woolly. You know, so from from what I think I hear you're saying, you know, envisioning really is about really being able to clearly communicate outcomes in a, in a way that people can understand.
1: It is, and 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 I'd add one sort of word to that, which is future outcomes, because it is all about the future. I once got introduced um, as a sort of a, a fortune teller, which was I was like fantastic. I'm like the mystic Meg of the IT world. That's like you know brilliant, but it isn't about fortune telling. It, it's about saying, look, these there's a number of things that can, could happen. You know, if we look at all of these things that are changing, the potential of new technology, let's take a look about how it could play out, and are there things, are there scenarios here that would be interesting to your business? And again, it's done in terms of, uh, you know, business language and business outcomes. So, you know, let's not talk about, you know, quantum computing and qubits. Let's talk about what those qubits would enable the banking industry to be able to do or the hospitality industry to be able to do and start really getting into specifics of. So what does that mean to our customers? How would they how would they see that? How would they experience that? And And once everybody can understand what that is and understand how it might work, then they can decide whether they want it or how they might get there. Part of the importance of envisioning and part of its challenge is true transformation delivers things that aren't what we do today. They, they are things that we don't yet know that we need. And, and, you know, envisioning is about getting ahead of those things and starting to say, well, the world might work a bit like that. We've just been through this in retail over the last, I'm going to say, five years. It might be slightly longer. But this ability to use our own devices as a way of interacting with a retail experience, I spent a bit of time in hospitality, uh, both personally and professionally, I might say. And, you know, I remember when we were talking about the concept of rolling out, let's do order at table and pay at table. So as a a guest to a restaurant, I could not only pay for my meal uh, using my own device, but actually I could also order as well if I want to. And when we started talking about this, everyone was like, well, Why would you want to do that? This is hospitality. You know, the whole point is to come and be served and looked after and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, it is. But actually, let's take, you know, paying as one example. And if you've got kids, you'll know this scenario well. You know, the worst part of any meal out is the time from when you're done or or when specifically when the kids are done to the time that when you're leaving the, the restaurant. And that time, you know, spans, this sort of, you know, continental drift moves quicker in, in some restaurants than, than that time, right? Do, do you know what I mean? And, and, I, I know that so well. And, and you know, because you, you, first of all, you're waiting to get the, you know, can I have the bill, please? And then, you know, that takes time. And then you're waiting for them. To, oh, you want to pay? Yeah, I'm going to get the card machine. And actually, the ability is just to whip out your phone go, thanks very much. Great meal. And, and I'm at the door. Fantastic. And, you know, so when we were talking about originally people like, well, that just feels really alien to our world. But we had to try and paint a a scenario where people could say in a world where people are quite comfortable with doing that. And and look, we've had some help from the terrible scenario of, of the pandemic where people have become a lot more open to engaging like that. But it just becomes a much nicer way of doing business. And it means that we can focus on delivering value in other aspects of of the service that we provide. And I'm using hospitality as an example. There are lots of other examples. But envisioning was important to show people how it might work and what it might mean such that they could decide on, yeah, okay, that sounds quite good. We should build the capability for that. It's a way of bringing Everybody together at the same pace as well. Because you'll have in any organization, you'll have people that get it. Yeah, yeah, don't have to tell me about that. Ben, yeah, totally understand it. And you'll have people there, we sit there with their arms, you know, that's never gonna bloody work. Oh god, I wouldn't <laughs> want to do that. Oh no. You know, and, and envisioning is about just helping to normalize those things and, and bring them together. And, and again, I would really, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you might be a DevOps um, you know, person trying to sort of get across some patch. You know, you could be an architect thinking about some you know thing that's going to happen in five years or you might be in support just trying to make your life a little less shit excuse my french um you know <laughs> oh, i'm gonna have to put to the, the, the explicit filter now on this <laughs> <The> podcast <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right so yeah so, so it seems to me we've got so Visioning really is about really clearly communicating future outcomes and the relevance of that then is basically going to have a better impact. You're going to do more fun stuff and actually you're going to have an impact on people's lives in a much broader and bigger and more significant way.
1: Ben, you know, we could have actually what we should have done is there's just one word that we need for this podcast and it's impact. Right, you know it, that that's what envisioning is about, and, and maybe influence. And I don't mean that in a sort of manipulative way, but helping people to move in the right direction. And and I think, you know, what I worry about, and and it's really hard because in the DNA of a lot of technical people, we get quite excited by the nuts and bolts and the bells and whistles. But that's really something that's only interesting to us. If we can connect that, if we can engage people with what it means to them, then we can have impact and we can get them helping us to be able to deliver. Because ultimately we're here to serve them, to make the business better, to make the employee's life easier, to make the customer's life more delightful, All, all of those things. It is about sort of the impact that we can have in doing that
0: yeah I, I read a, a great book uh, I think it's called make it stick I've forgotten the authors off the top of my head but in there they talk about the curse of knowledge and so once you've got that knowledge you understand the nuance the detail the what happens if this the wind's blowing this way on a Wednesday you know and we know that and feel we need to tell everybody and actually that is important times when you're doing a real detailed build or a detailed architect or whatever but but that's not important when you're talking to the ceo (laughs) about it (laughs) yeah
1: well there's there's a test i like to do um wherever i am typically it's with my family um, uh, when, when the technology doesn't work, when they're trying to do something really important, they're trying to buy the ticket or fix the order or whatever it might be, and it's not working. If you sit down and say, look, what you need to understand is that this second, there are billions of electrons throwing, you know, sometimes through the air, sometimes through the wire. They're <laughs> passing through multiple routers and gateways. They're being transcoded. Let, let me tell you, m- most people don't care. Uh, and, and as much as you and I do, Ben, and we really <laughs> yeah. want to get into that, most people don't care. There's just, uh, you know, the people I work with, i love them um and you're gonna have to get the explicit button i actually i'll I'll be polite Uh, this came from an old an old colleague of mine he said you know when you come to talk to me from from technology the only thing i've got in the back of my mind is help me or get the flip out of my way now he was he was a canadian guy so he was a nice guy he he didn't actually say flip yeah Uh, he was a bit more expressive uh, but I think that's a really good leveller, because that's what, when you're talking to somebody outside of the industry or outside of the department, that's all they've got in their mind. How are you going to help me? How are you going to make my life better? Because if you're not going to do those things, then just get out of my way. And 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 again, you know, Phil talked about it last week with cyber. I think it's really true with technology. We've got a million reasons why you know, we don't want you to do things with technology that we don't want you to do because it will compromise the security, it will cause problems, it will be more expensive, blah, blah, blah. But rather than start with that, let's say, hey, listen, and, and look, we, you know, we've learned this the hard way. Rather, It's not saying no, it's saying yes, but. is a, a great lesson I think we learned early on in our career. Is And I remember, you know, so back in the day when Wi-Fi was new. Can you imagine that? Um, so Wi-Fi was new, we didn't have it. Uh, But it was a point where I could stick a PCMCIA card, that's how old I am, into my laptop and I could have Wi-Fi. And, you know, we didn't have it in the organization because we didn't feel it was secure. And if someone wanted to use it, they'd say, no. Well, what the business would do is, well, that's really interesting, IT guy. I don't care about what you think. I'm going to pop down Dixon's on my company credit card and I'm going to buy some, you know, PCMCIA cards and a wireless hub and I'm just going to run it anyway. And what we learned from that experience is let's not say no, let's say yes but. So yes you can have wireless. but if you're going to do that, here's the things that we need you to do to make sure that we're doing it in a safe and secure way. So it's that facilitative empowering uh, position which again is envisioning. If, if you're brought into the vision of what we're trying to deliver then you will go, oh yeah, no, okay, I get that. I, I, that's what we'll do.
0: So, I get what it is. I get what envisioning is. I get that it's useful. So that how do I do it <laughs> for, for, for people out there listening? So how do I practically start to do that? Or maybe maybe we could bring it to life. How, how, how could we do it?
1: So there's a number of different ways. And, and, and the thing in all of this, Ben, is, is it's really funny when I talk about envisioning, it's really easy for me to mislead the audience. Like, you know, all we need to do is envision the future and then everything will be fantastic well envisioning is just half of the story right envisioning is about setting the context uh, 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 you know if we want to get all sort of corporate marketing it's the north star it's the what we're going to be when we grow up stuff but envisioning without a a roadmap of how we're going to deliver that is valueless and and similarly a roadmap without a sense of where we're going is also valueless so first of all envisioning is about truly understanding the purpose of your organization and this is really hard for a lot of uh, people because they Uh, again they have a very internal view of what their purpose is they're there well we're here to make widgets well actually no your purpose as an organization is what those widgets enable your customers to do i'll I'll bring it to life with a real example so I, i work for a big hospitality company in the uk it's one of my board positions and the chairman had this lovely line um when we were talking about joining and he said look you know i've been in the hospitality industry in my entire life, but I don't see myself as in the pub and restaurant business. I'm in the entertainment business. Because if you come to any of my outlets and you don't have a great time, then I've failed. In any aspect. Of course the beer and the food has to be good, but that's like table stakes to be in business. My purpose is to entertain, to make sure that people have a great time. And what I really liked about that example is can you imagine the difference? If you're an employee of that organization and your purpose is to provide a great experience versus to make sure you have the best beer and food you're going to act in a different way you're going to make decisions with a really different context and so this concept of coming up with the purpose of what is it you enable your customers to be able to do if you have a really good understanding of that that's step one in envisioning then against that so now you understand what it is this is the tricky bit. And this is the bit that the envisioners in your organization, and you'll have different names for them, right? Or what they are. What they need to do is to start to piece together. What are the building blocks that are going to come into play in our society, in our industry, and in our company? And it's really important that you look at them in those three ways. Because quite often, we get trapped into thinking about our own company. On a good day, we might think our industry But what's really important is we mustn't neglect what's happening more broadly in society. And why is this important? Well, you know, for me, it's about understanding where are our customers going to be 10 years from now? You know, are they going to be behaving like they do now? Or is their behavior going to have changed? Again, you know, the pandemic gives us an accelerated view of this. Um, If I was an organization now, I would be banking on the fact that my customers are digitally engaged and are looking for a slick digital experience. That probably wasn't true four years ago. And so it's understanding that because society has changed, I can now do things that I couldn't do before. And if I'm just sat in my, you know, let's say the insurance industry and I'm just thinking about what it's like to be me in the insurance, I'm not looking at that. I'm not thinking, well, actually, you know, the thought of picking up the phone um, now, or, or even going to a comparison website, which is what we currently do, That's not where our customers are going to be. Five years from now, they're going to want some agent to say, hey, listen, Dave, um, I know your insurance isn't due for renewal for another six months, but I was just on your behalf looking through all these. And I think I found a way of getting you at the same level of cover for 50% of the premium. Would you like to do some of that? So it's bringing these external influencing factors into play. And then you do the same at an industry level, and then you do the same at an organization level, and you start to create this vision. So we've got the purpose, we've got a really broad vision, and then what you've got to do is you've got to start to take everybody on the journey with you. So this is where the difficulty becomes, because you can't just stand there, you know, and and in my case with a rather fine goatee beard and and a a long uh, ponytail and say, well, look, I'm the company nerd. You've employed me to sit in a dark room and stroke my beard and think thoughtfully about the future. Uh, this is how it's going to be. That's pointless. What you've got to do is you've got to take everybody with you on the journey. You've got to tell them why you think it's going to be like that and listen to them when they say, yeah, Dave, that's you know that's great, but I don't think it's, it's going to be a bit like this. It's going to be a bit like this. Oh, yeah, great. Well, we can build that into it. So it's this conversation, and whether you run that as a workshop or it's just you you know, pounding the floors, going and seeing everybody, talking to them about how you bring that to life, the goal of envisioning is to have some common sense of where you think the organization is going to be five to ten years from now. Playfully, I talk about you know this is what we're going to be when we grow up, and and if you can build that, then what you've done is you've established a common context that the organization can use to make today's decisions. And so, purpose, uh, build the vision, and then articulate and communicate and collaborate on the vision. They're the kind of three principal steps. That you've got to take. And, and remember that that vision is a living, breathing thing. It changes, it evolves over time. Um, and, and it's why it's so important that you're part of that dialogue. Now, that that's then from the perspective of you know, you, you want to do envisioning as a specific thing in your organization. There's a flip of this, I would argue, that exists in individuals, which is your job is to do that same kind of thing the little slice of the pie that you look after in your role you know working with not just your team and and your manager or the people that report to you but with the business to say hey, listen i was thinking i wonder what it would be like if it might turn out like this or this is why we have to do this because i think we're going to go over here so it's taking a bit of responsibility for your own little part of that vision and and starting to bring that to life
0: brilliant Fascinating. I've, I've always got my notebook and I'm always there going, right, so North Star roadmap and then take people on the journey with you. Basically, that's breaking it down into those, into those three things. I wonder, could we, <clears throat> everybody in the world is talking about generative AI at the moment, right? E- you know, e- even my mum who, you know, is talking about what's going on with AI and generative AI at the moment. So maybe we could sort of think about how do you bring that to life? Because obviously businesses are thinking about it. To go back to your three things, the company's thinking about it, society's thinking about it, industry's thinking about it. How how could we use envisioning to help bring that to life? For example, what are generative AI approaches in an organisation we're in?
1: Yeah, so so I'm I'm so pleased that you've brought that up, Ben, because I think it's a really good example of the importance of envisioning. If you uh, look at any newspaper over the last couple of weeks, listen to any news media, um, what you'll see is a conscious and sometimes unconscious bias about the damage that this transformative technology is going to do to our society. And and look, generative AI is one of those technologies that is going to affect probably everybody on the planet and i know that sounds a little bit like a hyperbole but it's transformative i mean it's huge bill gates a few weeks ago said it's as Represents as big a change to society in terms of technology as the invention of the graphical user interface and just to bring that to life if you remember a world before the graphical user interface you needed nerds like us because we were the only people who could deal with a command line interface to get the computers to do the stuff and we would do all the work and then we would give it to the business along comes the graphical user interface and then you no longer need nerds like us because normal people can access the power that technology has to offer. We've seen it with um, generative AI, specifically things like ChatGPT, where you've got all sorts of people have discovered that they can do amazing things with it. And you don't have to be, uh, you know, technically literate. You just got to be able to use a website and type. So it's fantastic, you know, phenomenal. But if you look at the narrative, the narrative is negative. The narrative is about the destruction of our societal values, uh, destruction of the labor market. Uh, the destruction of what it means to be human. And and it's just negative, 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 negative. Now, look, I get that there are risks, but this is a technology that uh, offers us an opportunity to do a range of things, to take away the robotic parts of our jobs, uh, the things that we don't enjoy doing, the things that don't necessarily need to be done. But it also offers us the ability to extend our capability, to be able to do more than we could do on our own. And generative AI, uh, specifically things like ChatGPT, you know, if I'm dyslexic, chat gpt enables me to communicate in a way that i couldn't have done previously or or maybe i could but for for a lot less effort if i want to communicate in a foreign language uh, it, it gives me the capability to do that if i'm trying to do some work on a topic i don't understand fully it can help give me the pointers to be able to make that happen it doesn't do the entire job so why is envisioning important until we have a conversation about the positive potential that this technology can deliver, nobody, regulators, businesses, individuals, is in a position to be able to decide whether the technology is good or bad. We don't, we don't have that context. There's no balance to that conversation. We're just thinking about the bad. So if I go to a regulator today, what should we do about generative AI? Well, we should, we should control it. We should constrain it. Everything's going to be terrible. Is it? Is it really? So envisioning is let's take genitive AI, let's take a really naive perspective. So again, this is the first step, right? So in a world where we only ever love each other, we only ever want to do good, what could we do with that technology? How could it help our business, our society, our children, ourselves? And let's paint that picture. Let's look at a world where 30% of my role Is actually, I don't have to worry about. So I've now got 30% more capacity to do the stuff that is interesting or is valuable to the business and the stuff that the algorithm can't do. You know, I'm at school in a world where generative AI can give me prompts to the questions I should be asking. What does that enable me to do to learn? How much further could I learn as an example? So we paint that picture of this naive, openly naive potential. Then we can make a decision, see all those prizes that we've put on the table, all that potential. Is any of that worth having? Is that is that valuable to us? And hopefully most people will go, bloody hell, yeah, of course that's worth having. So once we've done that, we've done this naively optimistic viewpoint. Now we can say, yeah, okay. So what happens if somebody uses it badly? Or what happens if companies use it just to get rid of people? Is that is that going to be good? No, that's gonna be really bad. So what are we going to do about that? How do, we, how do we mitigate those two things? So envisioning is really about how do we accentuate the positive impact that a technology could have and we're talking on a really big scale right now genitive ai but it's as true for you know little technologies as well as really big big technologies and then so we maximize the positive potential and at the same time we minimize the risk of people doing bad you can't have all positive and no negative and you can't have all negative and no positive it's about striking that balance but my fear is unless we do that envisioning unless we connect people with the positive potential we'll we'll never get there we'll never you know we, we before generative ai the conversation i would have about ai in general and, and large uh, sort of data models and the ability to spot you know machine learning basically is this is a technology that will cure cancer if we give it enough data it will cure cancer and is that something that as a society we want yes or no and if the answer is yes and i think for most people the answer is yes then we start to think yeah but how do we get that data what's the safest way to do to get that data and protect the privacy of the individuals how do we build those things the guardrails that we you know we need in order to make sure that it's used well if we don't have that conversation and all we have is that ai is going to be really bad for us and so we never even go down the path and if that's the case we might as well switch it all off now and just go home because it's just it's, it's a waste of you know We we get lost into these sort of big technologies like AI, but you know, this is the same thing that happened with fire. You know, fire is a really one of the most powerful forces that that our sort of society has ever come across. You know, for thousands and thousands of years, and it's an amazing thing that keeps us warm and enables us to consume calories that would be otherwise difficult to consume. But it's also quite. Destructive in our society, you know, it damages things. It hurts people. Used badly, uh or, you know, or maliciously, you can cause a lot of damage with it. And over years, we've learned to say, well, actually, we shouldn't. You know, let's just not use, let's just, just not use fire at all, shall we? We've learned about how do we deal with it, and it's imperfect. We still need the fire brigade to exist because sometimes it all gets a bit out of control control you know we'd have regulations about well when we're well we should have better regulations about when we're building how do we make sure that we minimize the risk of it being you know burnt down so we've learned how to integrate these technologies nuclear power is another example this is no different to us so you know, very long-winded answer, Phil. I'm I'm sorry, a Phil. God, Ben. Um, <laughs> it, the whole point of this, yeah. So it's one of those. It's Friday. Come on. <laughs> um, the whole point of this is is to connect people with why Why are we even having this conversation? What is the point of this? What could it enable us to do? And it is being a little bit optimistic to start yeah. with before we start pouring. You know the the sort of negative pessimism on what's going to happen.
0: So do you know what, mate? On that exact topic, I've got. Let me let me share an example with you uh, of generative AI, if I may. So I was prepping for this. I mean, as amateur as the show feels, anything I'm involved in feels like that. <laughs> I do do some preparation, um, and so I thought I'm going to co-pilot. Uh, this podcast prep with chat gpt so you know normally i i you know i write a little bit at the beginning to introduce people i come up with some questions and and that kind of stuff and i and i did it with g chat gt chat chat gpt easy for you to say now i got it to write me an opening introduction paragraph do you want to hear the opening introduction paragraph they got to, for me i told it i had to prompt it a little bit and say i'm uh i'm doing a podcast with dave Coplin. Um, CEO of the Envisioners, write me a a paragraph, a punchy paragraph. Do you want to hear it?
1: I would love to hear
0: it. (laughs) Right, here you go. So this is the intro that ChatGPT gave me. Um, Our guest today is a visionary in the tech industry. With over 20 years of experience at Microsoft, he is now the CEO of The Envisioners, a consultancy that helps businesses use technology for innovation. He's also a renowned author, entrepreneur, and public speaker who delivered a TEDx talk, The Rise of the Humans, viewed over 1.5 million times. Join us for an exciting conversation with our guest today. Please welcome Dave Copeland. So right, wow. I, I did that, and first thing I was like, you know, so I'm going to go to your naive optimism, you know, naive optimism. That is flipping awesome, like that. That's that's good, right? But then I started to look at it, and and I, this is why I'm glad I've got you on the call now. I don't think that's right for a couple of things. Um, t- two things stuck out to me. Firstly, going on your LinkedIn profile, you worked at Microsoft for 13 years not not 20 yeah. years second thing i could not find a tedx talk that you did called rise of the humans with over 1.5 million views because if i had you know my podcast view you know views are going to be like spiking after this <laughs> I, I couldn't find that it, it does i don't so so how long did you work at microsoft and did you ever do a tedx talk with that many views
1: no um <laughs> so, so this this uh, so this is but this this is the point right with with generative ai is the broadly speaking the sentiment of that was brilliant was bang on wasn't yeah, it right yeah. you know ap- absolutely bang on in terms of the character the things that i do 100 percent accurate yeah the data points <laughs> were invented right <laughs> yeah. so you know I, I, actually i've got 30 years in the industry i worked for microsoft for 13 years uh, i didn't do a tedx talk with 1.5 million views i did uh, something for the rsa that's got a million views so okay. i've never done a never done a ted talk um there's uh, another conversation i've purposely never done a ted talk but uh, so yeah but so and this to me is the danger right because um, Chat GPT, I don't believe, has been invented to do what you did. Chat GPT has been invented to give you the first 50 percent, 60 percent, a starter for 10, on what you actually need to do. So I, I use Chat GPT uh, commercially, uh, and what I use it for is to help me in the first phase of writing which is when you're staring at a blank sheet of paper and you've got something specific that you've got to write. And and for me, that's like a two or three-hour process of mostly procrastinating for two and a half hours and then 30 minutes of like, yeah, (laughs) that'll get right. Um, And then once I've got that, I'll spend another two to three hours, depending on on the length of what it is, um, fine-tuning it and finessing it and researching it and getting some facts in and making it genuinely mine. And this is my big fear with ChatGPT because if we don't educate people, and I'm not suggesting that you're not educated, Ben, it's early days, is that if all we do is ask generative AI a question and take the answer and present it as our answer, we're going to fail, right? We're going to fail miserably. What we need to do is to say, Actually, it's given me a great start to ten. I really like that. Let me just double check some of those facts. They sound a bit too good to be true, especially for Copeland. I've seen him talk before. There's no way he's got that many <laughs> believers. Let me tell you. Um, and then you take it and you polish it and you use what you know about me uh, in real life and you and you bring that to life and you present it as an answer. Um, but. Just because it got those things wrong, you know, what we could do is we could take the Radio 4 Today program viewers. Well, I told you, look, that's rubbish. I mean, Radio 4 had, uh, they they got Charles Dance on and um, it was, they they got uh, ChatGPT to create a Shakespearean sonnet and, and Charles says, well, of course, that's rubbish. I mean, Shakespeare wouldn't have done, you know. And I'm like, literally, there's an algorithm that has taken language <laughs> and created something from nothing that sounds a bit like Shakespeare. Like, this is insane. Yeah. you know." And he's like, well, I couldn't really do it. I just told you it's rubbish. And it's like you've missed the point so much. Envisioning, again, where where is the conversation that's saying, yeah, I get it, Charles, but look, here's the point. Look at that. Oh, well, that's enabled. What else could we do with that? Not to replace us, but to as a stepping stone for where we go. Yeah, and, um, and I so also... I just, uh, I'm, I'm... So as well as
0: doing that, I also did give me some questions, right? Give me 10 questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought these were really good. Um, so let me give you a, a, an example. So one of the questions it says, you've spoken and written about the need to develop digital empathy in order to create a more human-centric technology. Could you explain what you mean by this and how it can be achieved? And I looked at that and went, that's such a good question, because it implies I know something about what you've done. (laughs) Like, I've read your works. Um, It's put it in a really... And so it gave me some great questions, actually. As it turns out, I haven't used them, just because we've gone off in all kinds of different tangents. But for that, that brainstorming, you know, like, what the heck am I going to ask him when I get on the podcast? That, it really helped me. And it did help me. But, even the intro paragraph, but... I did feel like, you know, it's like Donald Trump creates the intro paragraph. You know, I've got to fact check every every single thing that gets said. <laughs> yeah. I, go, I have to go, really? 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 So yeah. and that probably takes more yeah. time than, than it would have taken me to write it at the moment. So you start to think, right, so intros, I need to fact check it a lot. I can probably write it quicker. But actually that brainstorming, that coming up with the initial questions, coming up with the flow, it's a great starter for 10, as opposed to a blank piece of yeah. paper. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's a really interesting point, Ben. And and I think for me, where where I'd be wary of this stuff is is where there are specific data points. I I, I would be wary, you know, of, of using GPT for that, or, or, or you know, other generative AI are are available. Um, but for that broad thing, that broad sense, I I was listening, and again, this is where Radio did it did a good job the other week. Is they were interviewing some students on how they use uh, generative AI in their studies. And what I particularly enjoyed was hearing a young woman talk about when, when she's being asked to uh, write a report um, on a, something that she doesn't quite know enough about. The first thing she'll do is she'll go to ChatGPT and say, um, you know, write a, a, re, a write a structure for a report that discusses the pros and cons of this topic that I don't understand. And then that gives her a framework, a skeleton that she then takes and then goes and does the human legwork against. And, and I think that, you know you use the word copilot, which I know is a sort of a Microsoft sort of branding, but that that ability to have someone with you who understands a bit about what you're doing does enough to get you on your way, but leaves you to to do the final bit of finessing, personalization, and and whether it's 80-20 or whatever, I think this is the skill that we've all got to learn. I'd, I'd love our kids you know there's a conversation i'm having right now with education in broad terms about in a world where our kids grow up with access to tools like these we actually need a completely different set of skills than the ones that we're giving them and what are those skills and how do we blend these technologies into education and is it any dissimilar to you know pocket calculators when when i went to school they were banned uh at o level and i had to use a slide rule um but I'm a better mathematician with a calculator than I am with a slidey bit of plastic. You, you know what I mean? But I need to know what buttons to press and what order to press the buttons in and why those are the buttons that I'm pressing. And so it's this, you know, balance about let the technology do the heavy lifting, but how do we equip the human with the skills that they need to know which buttons to press in which order? And I think that's the balance that we've got to get into at the workplace and, and all that. And, and I know we're talking specifically now about genitive AI, but again, back to, envisioning you know without the context of why this is important and and, and breaking some of, can you imagine how some of the sort of in, the education institutions feel about that student using you know a third party generative ai to give her the insight on which to go and, there'll be some that will be like well that's cheating you know that's just wrong but i also hope there are those that that's genius that's brilliant that's, that's as long as we can keep focused on the learning outcomes And that's the bit of thinking that we're going to, all new technology requires is people to think a little bit left field about, well, yeah, but what about in a world where this is available to our kids in their pockets, you know, on on the device that they have? And they can create these things. How do we make sure that they use them and and, and use them well? That's the, they're the questions that envisioning should be helping us to ask
0: they brilliant do you know what i could chat to you about all of this for ages i could probably give an opinion on solving all the world's problems none of them have worked but i could give you an opinion but 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 we've run out of time i think we've talked for a good old while um so just to wrap up what would be just the key takeaways that you'd want people that have been listening to this uh to take away with them
1: uh, I'm, I'm gonna get a bit emotional then and and I think the technology industry and specifically the technology profession is, is one of the sort of the most noble pursuits that we have in our society because of the impact it has on our society, mostly good, sometimes a bit bad, but I can't think of many things that aren't made better through the application of technology. Uh, You know, there are planes in the sky right now as a result of us doing the right things about architecture and support and DevOps and cyber There are hospitals operate. Do you know what I mean? We could get quite sort of, oh, actually, when you think about it, this is a powerful profession. And as a result of it being such a powerful profession, I think we owe it to ourselves to be just to ensure that we communicate the opportunity that what we do brings, whether it's our company or whether it's the, the society more broadly as a whole. And so spend some time thinking about how do I make sure people really understand what this means to them? Put yourself in their shoes think about them in their language rather than necessarily surface the complexity of what you do in in your day job and i think if everybody in our industry does a bit more of that i just think that we're going to go we're going to go so far with this we're going to do amazing even more amazing things than we're doing today um and we're going to elevate human capability which at the end of the day is what all technology is about and i love that that you know individually collectively we're part of Driving our society forward.
0: Yeah, I love it. Elevating human capability. I just said that. Love it. Love it. And 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 Almost what like I'd, its
1: the rise of the human. Yeah,
0: like the like a book that you might have written. And, <laughs> and <laughs> no. And and what I, you know, I love the the tangible things, the practical things I can take away from it. And I made a note of those. You know, the the three sort of steps that you said, which was set your north star, your purpose. That real, you know, get real clarity on that. Um. Uh, and think about it from a company, society, industry kind of way. Um, then the need to then take that purpose and, and put a roadmap behind it so that there's, and I know you've used the term sort of there's this tactics behind the vision, you know, that, that sort of thing. And then uh, the third thing, uh, then take people on that journey and really collaborate with people as you iterate on that journey and take that forward just a a great way to think about things whenever you're sort of getting in any of these sorts of conversations brilliant stuff brilliant well Dave where can people get hold of you um they've heard you've been inspired and would like to either hire you (laughs) uh get you speaking at their events or anything how can they get hold of you
1: there's there's a really easy way ben and just go to your favorite search engine and any of them will will do and just search for me I'm, i'm an easy guy to find and I'm I'm kind of like the antithesis of Philwyn Stanley, who is a guy who exists purely in the shadows because he's a cyber guy, right? I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm sort of the long-haired, beardy architect. I just like, hey, everybody, I'm here. Let's do great things together. So yeah, any I'm I'm sure even if you went to Alta Vista, you'd still be able
0: to find me. Right? Is that still on? Oh, dear me, that's something to do after the podcast. Is that it's
1: still running still... on a serv- server under my desk, actually. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Well, Dave, can I just say it's been a wonderful chat. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me, to speak to all of us. And thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having us, Ben. It's been absolutely my pleasure.
0: So there we have it. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast and rate the show. It really helps spread the word. And check out our technical storytelling programme to help build your influencing and leadership skills.